Morning, everybody. Let's pray. Father, we uh, do thank you again for your word. And uh, we do pray, Lord, as we look at the book of James again, that these words, um, inspired by you, Lord, will um, always be with us, that we should be doers of your word and not hearers only. So we do pray now, Lord, that as we go through uh, this um, passage today, you will enlighten us, you would uh, speak to our hearts, Lord, and that you would empower us to do your word, do your work within us, do your word, Lord, be doers of your word in everything that we do. So help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to visit the book of James again today for the sixth time, believe it or not. (laughs) We've adopted a thematic approach to studying the book and have spent the past months uh, looking at the themes of perseverance and suffering under trials, wisdom, impartiality, responding to God's word and controlling the tongue. And today we will look at the theme of faith and works. This is probably the subject matter of which James is best known and remembered. Uh, For as I said in my first talk, this subject is surrounded by controversy. And I think again, I'll say this, it's unnecessary controversy, as I hope I will demonstrate um, to you as we go through. Now, there's just one passage concerned um, about this theme and it's James chapter 2 verses 14 to 26. James 2 14 to 26 and I'll read it from the New King James Version. What does it profit my brethren if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now, as I said in my introduction to the book of James, which was in January 
of this year, believe it or not. The controversy arises over verse 24, I think especially, and when compared to Paul's words from Romans 3, verse 28. So just looking at those two verses, James 2.24 says, You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. And Paul's words to the Romans, you need not look this up, you can if you want to, if you're quick. Romans 3 verse 28, Paul's words are, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Now, obviously, um, we'll go over this a bit now before we look at this passage in detail. The first comment to make is that you cannot compare those two verses out of the context in which they're written. At the least, we have to look at the complete passages in which these single verses appear. But the controversy rises, it seems, because James seems to be saying that justification requires faith and works, whereas Paul says that justification is by faith alone. And before we look at the the passage in detail, I'd like to go over those points. I think I've made most of them, if not all of them, before. But there are some points to be noted. So firstly, from the context of the two different letters to the churches, that is the letter to the Romans and James, we can see that the letters were addressed to two different audiences. Paul was dealing with those who believed that their works under the law of Moses would save them and they had rejected the gospel message. James, on the other hand, was dealing with those who depended on the sole profession of their faith in Jesus, so they had accepted Jesus and his work upon the cross as sufficient to justify them. They did not accept that good works were the fruit of their faith and that they should be known by their fruit. And if you want a couple of references about that, you can find two of them in Matthew. Matthew 3 verse 8, make a note of that if you like, and Matthew 7 verse 16, where Jesus talks about um, being fruitful. Now a second point to remember is that James gives two examples from Scripture itself to support his claims about faith and works. And we will look at those examples when we come to study the passage Thirdly, when we look carefully at another passage from James's letter, he asserts that salvation is a gracious gift from God and cannot be earned by works. And we find this in James 1, verses 17 to 18, if you want to turn to that. James 1, 17 to 18. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now when referring to the good gifts of God in verse 17, by the words James uses in verse 18, we can infer that he was talking about God's graciousness and especially the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. So verse 18 says in the New King James Version, of his own will he brought us forth. Uh, The NIV translates this, in my opinion, slightly more clearly. It says, he chose to give us birth. This is all about the good news of Jesus. 
you might like to remind yourself of that, turn to John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. John 1, verses 12 and 13. So John 1, 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So, going back to James 1.18 now, firstly we see that it's God's will to bring regeneration, a new birth to fallen mankind. Secondly, it was God who brought us forth. Just as we, not, we cannot control our physical birth, we cannot control our spiritual birth. It's God's work. We were brought forth by the word of truth, which is the word of God, and we are given new life through the power of God's word working in us. And thirdly, in those verses, we are a kind of first fruits of his creatures. As believers, Christians were like the first portion of the harvest given to God and a foretaste of that which was to come, a great host of people down the ages who would be born again and enjoy new life in Christ and the hope of future glory. Now, coming back to my main argument, there's a fourth point, which is somewhat conjecture, but may have some validity, and I've mentioned this before, I can remember that. It concerns the date of James's letter. The Jerusalem Council was convened in AD 49 and is not referred to in James's letter. That gives some speculators the audacity to say that the date of James's letter is therefore between AD 45 and AD 50. This is why I said it's conjecture. If this was the case, James would not have seen Paul's writings about faith, either to the Romans, which was dated about AD 56, or to the Ephesians, which is dated about AD 60 to 61. And I said again, had James seen these writings, he may have chosen his own words concerning faith and works, somewhat more carefully perhaps, and elaborated on his doctrine to avoid any confusion between himself and Paul. However, before we go to the text of our passage from James, and if you have any remaining doubts about Paul supporting good works after salvation, take time to read his pastoral letter, not now, but um, take time to read his letter to Titus. And we're going to look at a few quotes from that. So if you turn to the letter of Paul to Titus, this letter is dated about AD 61-62. So Paul could possibly have seen, if, if James's letter was earlier, Paul could have seen everything that James had written about faith and works. So bear that in mind, and let's look at a few quotes. For, and it's a very short letter, this, just three chapters, I believe. But just look how much is spoken about good works. So chapter 2, verse 7, Paul is addressing himself to Titus personally in this quote. Show yourself to be a pattern of good works. Verse 14 of chapter 2. Paul says, Jesus gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed 
and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Chapter 3, verse 1. He says, remind them, he's talking about the believers, to be ready for every good work. Chapter 3, verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to man. And verse 14 of chapter 3. And let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. So I think you can see, although we all agree that salvation is by faith alone, good works have to follow. And Paul is a great proponent of saved to serve. Okay, so now let's look at the text of the letter, James 2, 14 to 26, in a little more detail. We'll take it some section at a time. So I'm going to read again verses 14 to 17. So back to James 2, verses 14 to 17. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So in these verses, James sets out a hypothetical example, if you like, to show what irks him. It's profession of faith without action or words without deeds. To the Jew, almsgiving was a paramount importance and almsgiving was synonymous with righteousness. Conversely, to some Greeks and particularly the Stoics, almsgiving was quite alien. James may have used this example because the early church was living in times heavily influenced by Uh, the Greek culture and philosophers, many of whom had no sympathy for the needs of others. So James's case is that someone who professes to be a believer, that is, have faith, sees his brother in need and does nothing to help physically, cannot have a living faith. If no deeds are forthcoming, it is proof that faith is dead. There may be faith, but it may be from head knowledge and not from heart knowledge, or or knowledge of the soul, if you like, as Russell pointed out earlier. This kind of faith is not a living faith, and and neither can it save if it has no fruit. So moving on, verses 18 and 19, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. So in these two verses, 18 and 19, James continues his argument. Verse 18 can be somewhat confusing, but seems to me to say, one person has faith whilst another has works. Faith and works are not necessarily related to each other, and it is possible to have either one, without the other. So you can have either one without the other. You can have faith or you can have works, but you need not have the opposites. 
James rejects the idea of real living faith without works and declares, I will show you my faith by my works. In verse 19, James strengthens his argument by first of all commending the Jewish Christian readers for believing in the words of Deuteronomy 6.4, that there is one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But then he goes on to say, even the demons believe and tremble. And we see examples of this in the account of Jesus sending demons into the herd of swine in Matthew 8.29. It says, And suddenly they cried out, that's the demons crying out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? And again, when Jesus was ministering in Galilee, we read in Luke 4, verses 40 and 41, All those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. So the point James makes is that believing in God is having faith. In respect of demons, their fear of God is evidence that they had belief or faith of some sort. However, the fact that their belief has not brought them to peace with God is evidence that their faith is not saving faith. Thus, man can also have faith, that is, to believe in God, but not always a saving faith. So again, I say saving faith is not mere intellectual acceptance of the good news of Jesus Christ, but it involves our whole inner being and is expressed in a changed life of obedience to God's word an active service in his kingdom. Now we come to the two examples of Abraham and Rahab, verses 20 to 26. You probably know the stories, but we'll read the, uh, the text again and then we'll look at the, um, the background of the stories. So verses 20 to 26. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So um, now there's perhaps another argument about faith versus works here. In verse 20, um, James is actually contrasting two methods of salvation. He's not contrasting faith and works. He's talking about um, two types of faith. A living faith that saves and a dead faith, one that does not issue in good works, that does not save. Verses 21 to 24 recount the example 
of Abraham's faith. And it's best to look at this chronologically. So in the James passage, verse 23, um, James quotes from Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now looking at this chronologically, if we go to, uh, you don't need to turn here at the moment, but if we went to chapter 12 in Genesis, that's before this quote appears, we see that at the age of 75, Abraham had already been called out of his own country by the Lord God. He had received God's promises of inheriting the land of Canaan, of being made into a great nation, of having his name being great, being protected from his enemies, and being a blessing to all the families of the earth. The statement from Genesis 15.6 comes after God had promised Abraham even more that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the heavens. Now, interestingly, Paul quotes this same verse of Scripture no less than three times in Romans 4 and again in Galatians 3.6 when he discusses justification by faith. Now, turning to the letter, James 2.21, James says that Abraham's faith was validated by his deeds when he offered Isaac his son on the altar. And we find this account in Genesis chapter 22. You might like to turn to this, actually. Genesis 22. We're not going to look at the whole passage, but I'll um, pick out a few verses here. So Genesis 22, verse 2. Then God said to Abraham, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. Now turn to verse 9. We're going to read verses 9 to 12. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here am I, here I am, sorry. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. The obedient offering of Isaac to God by Abraham certainly validated Abraham's faith by this deed. Now we're told in Genesis 21, again you don't need to turn there, that Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born. So it's therefore 25 years since the first promises of God were given to Abraham. And we must be talking of at least 30 years time lapse between Abraham being credited with righteousness through faith through to the time of his testing and regarding Isaac's sacrifice. If there had been no good deeds following Abraham's faith in God, his faith would have been incomplete. And we can see, though, through Abraham being so trusting of God's promises that he believed that if Isaac were to be killed, God would raise him from the dead. So coming back to James 2 now, 
We'll carry on with the verses there. In verse 23 of James 2, we see that Abraham was called the friend of God, which is another, is another way of saying that he was right with God. And we need to keep the whole context of the whole uh, of this passage in mind as we look at um, the remaining two verses that I've not touched on, verses 22 and 24 of this section, which may be uh, misunderstood otherwise. So verse 22, James says that Abraham's faith and his actions were working together. Remember that James had already said in verse 17 that a living faith is not possible without works following. He then says, by works, faith was made perfect or comes to its fullness, much like a fruit tree bearing its fruit. James's meaning in verse 24 is surely that Abraham's works in offering up Isaac demonstrated the genuineness of his faith and the reality of his justification before God. And in the same way, we need a living faith. Paul describes... Um, our faith and works, if you like, in Ephesians 2, if we look at just verse 10, well, I'll, I'll read it, don't turn there. For we are his workmanship, that's the workmanship of Christ, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So if we're the workmanship of Christ, we've been born again, um, he's also prepared works for us. And back to James verse 25 we now have his second example from scripture of faith and works combined in the action of Rahab the harlot now she features mainly in Joshua 2 and lived in a house which formed part of the town wall of Jericho the Israelites were on the outskirts of the town and Joshua sent two spies to reconnoiter in preparation for an attack and the overcoming of Jericho now Rahab, as well as the um, uh, remaining residents of Jericho, had heard of the exploits of the Israelites and how the Lord had dried up the Red Sea and given two Amorite kin kings into their hands. She said to Joshua's two spies, I know that the Lord has given you the land. That's chapter 2, verse 9. She told the spies that the people of Jericho had lost their courage for, quote, the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. That's verse 11 of chapter 2 in Joshua. In view of this situation, when the spies were pursued, she hid them and sent the pursuers on a false trail. She then made a pact with the spies that she and her family be spared when the Israelites conquered the town. So we see here Rahab put in her faith in a foreign God, and that faith, far from being dead or worthless, moved her to risk her life for the sake of the spies. If she had been found out by her own people, she certainly would have died. As a result of this, she merits an entry in what I've called the Hall of Faith by the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 11, verse 31. It says, By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe, when she had received the spies with peace. So the end of the story, the spies escaped and safely returned to Joshua. Jericho was destroyed and Rahab and her family were saved and she joined up with the Israelites. Indeed, this Rahab is almost certainly 
the Rahab mentioned in Matthew 1 verse 5 in the genealogy of Jesus, the wife of Salmon, the mother of Boaz, and the ancestor of David. God works in mysterious ways, doesn't he? The examples of Abraham and Rahab then show that our faith and deeds are not opposite, but are inseparable. No one will ever be moved to action without faith, and no one's faith is genuine unless it inspires action. And James concludes this passage with verse 26 with an illustration from the human body. Paraphrasing, the body without the spirit is like a corpse and is effectively useless. Faith without deeds is as dead as a corpse and equally useless. The question is, do we have a living faith? Now in conclusion, I ask that we may all, myself included, examine our spiritual health. I believe that James makes it clear that people can have faith without works and that faith will be dead. I also believe that there are ample scriptures, such as Paul's letter to the Ephesians and Titus, as I've quoted, which show quite clearly that we are saved to serve Christ and his body. We are born again of God's spirit, who is available to us to enable to to complete the work for which we have been called. So let's ask God continually to be filled with the Spirit that he may fulfil his purposes for us in our lives. Let's pray. Father, once again we thank you for your word and the power of your word, Lord. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for calling us to know him. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit whom you've given to us to dwell in us, Lord, that we may have the power for witness and for bringing glory to your name. We pray, Lord, that we will be active doers of your word, that we will call on your power, Lord, that you would inspire us, that we would witness for you, that we would bring glory to your name. Lord, that we would do your works here on earth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.